Welcome to Pragmatic. Uh, Pragmatic is a show about technology and contemplating the finer details and their practical application. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we dive into how great ideas can be transformed into products and services that impact our lives. This episode is brought to you by Premium Jane, a US-based provider of organic CBD products that meet the highest standards of quality and purity. Visit this URL, premiumjane, or one word, .com, and use the coupon code PJ20OFF to get 20% off. This episode is also sponsored by ManyTrix, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit ManyTrix or OneWord.com slash Pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. We'll talk more about them as well during the show. Pragmatic is also supported by you, our listeners. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so via Patreon for early release, high-quality ad-free episodes. We're edging closer to our monthly goal to go advertising-free across the network, but we can only do that with your help. Visit engineer.network slash Pragmatic to learn how you can help. Thank you. Uh, I'm your host, uh, John Chigi, and today I'm joined by David Jones. How are you doing, Dave? Good. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on the show. No, thanks for thanks for coming on. I um, have started learning about podcasting uh, 2.0 and um, about September last year, and uh, then I learned who you were, and I've listened to every episode of podcasting 2.0. Some of them, some of them, multiple times because there's a lot of information in them, and I had to go back over and, and re-listen. Uh, um, I'm sorry you had to do that. <laughs> oh, come on now, um, but yeah. Uh, so, um, so I really appreciate you um, uh, coming on the show to talk about this because there's there's two aspects. I guess it's podcast lightning kind of. I, I want to talk about both of them, but mm-hmm. to start out, I think podcasting 2.0. I, I guess I'm just curious. In your words, how would you describe what podcasting 2.0 is? And then we get stuck into the the details. You know, there's a lot going on in in this whole thing. It's it's really sort of a I feel like sometimes there's so many uh, GitHub repos and uh, social net you know, Mastodon and and po- doing and podcasts and all this. It's just sometimes I get I feel like uh, there's like this Lovecraftian uh, hide you know Hydra Cthulhu thing that's just sucking me you know like pulling me apart in every direction. But uh, so it's kind of hard to boil down into one. Uh, one thing, but I'd say there's there's the podcast index, uh, which we started and as a service as an API for small podcast apps to be able to hook in mm-hmm. to get um, to be able to to launch a podcast app with the not have without having to have the heavy lift and the expense of having a, a full back end, and then there's uh, the podcast uh, namespace, and so it's sort of the the podcast namespace is more what you think of as with podcasting 2.0, but then you also have um, the podcast um, lightning aspect of it. So it's really sort of a marriage of all three of those things. So like what what we think of podcasting 2.0 is, is really trying to break the stagnation that's kind of, um, you know, held back podcasting for really about a decade now. It's, it, mm-hmm. it sounds weird to say that. It sounds strange to say that podcasting has been held back because it's seen such explosive growth, but it, it's 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 seen growth on a just a listener on a listener count and podcast creator level. But the technology behind it has really just been kind of really stagnant. Mm. And so we thought 
number number one, our, our sort of goal with the with the index was to have a, a place that was that would protect uh, people from being deep or not protect, but help people that that were afraid of being deplatformed, and then also uh, to have a sort of launch pad to get some of these bigger ideas kicked off, like direct payments through the Bitcoin uh, Lightning Network, um, the podcast uh, namespace. Uh, to do things like uh, add new tags to RSS feeds and just, um, you know, sort of like ha- have a launch pad there where we could do bigger things and, and create bigger ideas in the in the podcast technical space. Okay. Um, so the, and that's not and, and the biggest thing of that is, is we wanted it not to be siloed. And so, um, you know, what, what had been happening for a long time is people had been having some good ideas. Um, the plenty of good ideas existed. I mean, that was never a problem. It's just that everybody felt like they had to go ask Apple's permission, yeah, uh, or or you know Spotify's permission. Or it's like, okay, we can't do it unless we get Spotify, Apple, and Google on board. And yeah. we just didn't buy into that. And so we were, you know, already trying to create sort of this other uh, decentralized, uh, you know, platform. And so we said, well, why don't we try it? And turns out. Lots of people have great ideas, and if you just do it, uh, the hosting companies jumped on board quick, and they were like, uh, "Yeah, this is great. We want to see this tech advance too." So, um, anyway, that the, when I think of podcasting 2.0, I just think of this this idea of of taking the tech part of podcasting and and bringing it along further to where uh, so that it can catch up with some of what these um, the other areas of, of podcasting have some of that growth yeah okay so look that's um the the, the whole problem with with describing what podcasting 2.0 is and i think you pretty well conveyed that is that it's actually quite a few different little things that sort of collectively create what we have has become referred to now as podcasting 2.0 and having watched uh oh, sorry watched listened and read and and uh and been part of just on the periphery from my perspective uh, so I mean, I've incorporated some of the tags, for example, into um, into the Engineer Network site and uh, all of its feeds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm playing around with Lightning, which we'll get to. But um, you know, the the first part of it. So I, I sort of thought about all the different activities that Podcasting 2.0 is trying to achieve and trying to address the gaps and different aspects. And uh, I sort of, sort of broken down into roughly four. And this is just my classification, just for my own brain, because I just I don't know, I just like classifying things, I guess. But search being oh, the you, first you one. did more homework than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I put a couple of articles up on my blog about it, so I've kind of okay. uh, Yeah, I did think this through. I sort of thought, well, okay, so search is obviously the first big one, and um, the interesting thing is if I if I look back and 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 think about um, how like podcast search sort of came about, is that it's just been um, when going back in time, uh, when uh, Adam handed over the Adam Curry handed over the actual original um, list to uh, Apple as the custodians, essentially, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people just defaulted to Apple, and uh, and and I think that that was fine for a while, um, but they didn't really do much with it. At least that's the perception. Like they've added a few little bits and pieces, but what's happened is other corporate interests have come in. And they've just sucked all of Apple's index out and then added their own stuff, mm-hmm. some of it behind their own paywalls even, uh, like Spotify, for example. Uh, iHeartRadio is another example, I believe. There's there's a few different ones. And so search then becomes... Amazon. Amazon. Oh, yes, another good one. Yeah, Amazon, exactly. And so there's no real definitive search. There's no, there's no like, um, I guess to an extent, it's like a Google search. And I hate saying Google because... I don't know how much Google senses whatever it senses. I, I, but never mind that. The point is that 
Um, there's no one who is not a hosting platform in a sense other than Apple, because I'm thinking about this. There's probably, maybe there are a couple, but it's like there's no one all-encompassing search that can cover everything anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's a problem because you don't have that independence. And so I see that that, that search piece was an, it was an essential piece mm-hmm. that needed to be added at some point by somebody. Um, and that's one of the big things that, um, and, and just in the most recent episode of Podcasting 2.0, previously till this point, um, the API key was the only way to get access to do, um, I believe it was some submissions and queries. Um, that's right. Yeah. But that's going to be changing shortly. Is that right? I hope so. And, and I'm trying to figure out the logistics of that right now. And so currently, if you want to play around with the index, you can go to um, uh, api.podcastindex.org. You can get uh, API keys, and so that's the way this is, thing has been done since the beginning. Uh, but the what I would like to do is uh, open that up to where it's more like uh, Apple's lookup API because I think that's the other thing that made Apple sort of de, de facto is that they had an open API that didn't require you know a big uh, much of anything to get into. Anybody can query it. Uh, and so I would like to, to have that on there. Uh, and that's on that's on my roadmap, and I'm hope I'm, I hope to have it done soon because I think it's kind of important. Now, whether it's just a flat out open API with absolutely no authentication whatsoever, or if it's just a simple token header, I'm not sure yet. Uh, but the way that it works right now is a little bit of a uh, it, it's a little it requires a little bit of heavy lifting on the um, on calculating the header side. It's not just a simple thing. It's it's a an Amazon um, AWS style mm-hmm. authentication scheme. And so, but I'm hoping to have that uh, be more open. Number one, because I think it's I just think it's important by itself. But number two, I think uh, it, that it would help us with uh, caching and a lot of that stuff to not have to have those extra. Um, per request unique headers in there every time. And so uh, that I'm hoping that that will come soon. I just had to figure out ways to, uh, since we're behind Cloudflare, the biggest uh, stopper to that is I have to make sure that I can do it in a way where the um, uh, where things like uh, crawlers that go crazy and bots that start hitting you and just hitting you relentlessly I don't want that to just become, you know, a big, a big major problem. So I need ways to key on the source IP address uh, to be able to block that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now I can tell if an API, uh, you know, if somebody's API request is going crazy, if a certain app is going nuts. And so and I can say, OK, well, we need to rate limit based on this API key. But once it falls back to the IP address, then uh, we just got to make sure that all that stuff's sorted out because I don't want to put us at a you know big risk for you know getting getting hammered on that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. I think I think it'll work out. We just have, I just got to do the finish doing the logistics right now. What's been holding me back from some of that stuff is that uh, we just released uh, phase closed phase two of the podcast namespace, mm-hmm. and so that's really just sucking up a lot of my time uh, this this week. So hopefully within the next you know couple of months, I think I'll you know probably be able to figure that out and know what we're going to do. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, obviously that's gonna that'll that'll move forward. Uh, at the moment, if you want to search the podcast um, uh, index, you can just run a query um, on the website without an API key. Mm-hmm. No, you can. Yeah, 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 you can. And I'm, you know, you, that's the whole that's the whole thing. It's kind of 
you know, we, we act like we're trying to hide everything behind an API key so we can have some control over it. But I mean, somebody could easily just scrape the site. So it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not yeah. that, yeah. it's not that hidden. So yeah, no, that's okay. All right. So look, search is really important and I'm glad that that's moving forward. And, um, and it's, and it's, I think how many, how many have you got in there at the moment in terms of active shows? There's a lot of them, isn't there now? Yeah, it's about one, it's a little less than 1.4. And this is sort of a constant 1.4 million. So yeah, yeah. it's a little bit of a constant debate as to what constitutes, you know, okay. If you start looking at other directories, so, um, there's, a uh, a few around here, Spotify. Well, Spotify is a good example. They just came out and said that they had uh, 2.2 million podcasts listed. Out of those 2.2 million, I can promise you, more than half of those are dead shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just there are people that you know they did a show, they did two or three episodes, and just you know for the heck of it, and then they quit. Or mm-hmm. uh, the, they're those types of things. And there's also like, or you could take the Google approach. They got like two and a half million shows in their directory, and um, they they sort of take the approach, from my understanding, what I've heard is they just pretty much suck up any RSS feed that has an enclosure tag in it. Yeah. And that just shows up. So what I'm not too concerned about having, like, the most as far as count goes. I'm really just – all I care about at this point is that if somebody searches for something, that they find it. Yeah. And I th- we're on that side of things, we're doing pretty good. And um, one one uh, your your compatriot there uh, there in Australia, James Cridlin, has helped a lot on that. Mm-hmm. He has um, you know he he feeds our he feeds our index a lot of shows that we may uh, miss uh, search hits on and that kind of thing. So we got a lot of people that are uh, feeding into us. Uh, Daniel J. Lewis, uh, he's given us access to his API, so we can pull stuff out of that. Another guy, uh, Christopher Isine who's uh, really active on the podcastindex.social mastodon. Uh, he compiles, uh, he's constantly crawling for feeds, and he sends stuff to us. Uh, we had uh, we had quite a few people send us uh, country-specific OPML lists of feeds that are, um, one of Kazakhstan, another guy sent us a bunch of stuff from France, a mm-hmm. uh, guy sent us some, um, a big list from Poland. Uh, so we just got people feeding stuff to us all the time. And, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with where we are. But I mean, I, I want more, but uh, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna go out there and just uh, pollute. You know, just to get a number, I'm not gonna pollute the index with you know, b- b- you know, hundreds of thousands of just kind of junk feeds. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I think the debate you said before it's it's uh, it is quite an interesting debate about what constitutes an, an, uh, a podcast worth counting. Because if a, mm-hmm. a podcast was created ten years ago, they haven't had a new episode in in nine years then that's not an active show. But then, of course, that opens the discussion and the debate of, well, when does a show become inactive? Because, um, you know, in, in, I suppose, in television, for example, like they'll they'll approve a season and they'll make a season of like 10 episodes of some show. And, um, you know, there'll, there'll be a six-month period where people might say, well, is it is it is it over? Are they going to make another season? Has it been yeah. approved? I mean, we don't know. And then they could do a whole Netflix thing and they're saying, yeah, 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 it's on and then cut the funding and say, yeah, no, and it was like a really good show and they cancelled it and you're like, oh, damn it. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so you don't yeah. even know. It, it, and, and it could be like that for multiple years. Um, so is the show um, dead or stagnant? And I guess this is the problem is that the terminology that people use um, is incorrect. So it's like mm. um, you've got active 
in terms of um, you know active in terms of it's intending to make more episodes, so they are there are more episodes are planned, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got shows that are like on hiatus potentially, like it's there are none planned, but it's not over over. Mm-hmm. Um, but even getting agreement on that is kind of a bit difficult. There's another aspect to it uh, as well. Like if you have um, a podcast, excuse me, another aspect to how to maintain the index. So one thing we one thing we do is we run uh, a we run a, a a job a background job that's constantly sort of cleaning up uh, but you a lot of times you'll see episodes old episodes like um, especially a daily show uh, you know, it, there may only be 200 episodes in the feed but we have 500 episodes in the index listed okay. and so there's that you get that also sometimes too it's like why is there a bunch of old shows in here and uh, we we sort of have a late this lazy background uh, process that that cleans up stuff, but you know we're not we're not rushing to it because it's sort of I like it. I mean it's kind of archival mm. um, to have old episodes of stuff. I mean I don't want to necessarily be the archive.org of podcasts, but <laughs> you know but I'm not also going to rush to get to to remove them either. So there there's that debate too is like how aggressive do you get with uh, with your cleanup. Um, mm. And so, you know, because you, you take two sides of that. You can you have the one side that says, well, if it's not in the feed, it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be public. And then the other side as well, I mean, it was public at one point. And so, mm. yeah. uh, and I don't know which one of those is right. It's just sort of the constant, um, you know, back and forth that you, you go with with these kinds of things. Okay. So um, I think search is definitely um, the one to lead off with, but I want to sort of start mm. tackling the next category. So I sort of, thought about well what about the the namespace and how does the namespace actually break down in terms of what's the intent of the tags because there's quite a bunch of different tags in the xml uh in the podcast namespace and mm-hmm. what i tried to do is i try to look at the phase one and phase two tags and you know maybe a sprinkling of the you know future phase three and and such and try and classify what problem they're trying to solve broadly and i sort of th- thought of it in terms of like discoverability mm-hmm. um I- interactivity and uh, monetization. And I'm not going to capture probably every single flag in one of those three buckets, but I just for my brain, I just like to think about it that way. It's like, what are the problems that we're really trying to solve here? And mm-hmm. the problem, first of all, of discoverability. So just about that straight away. And discoverability, I, I've, I've seen that as being something that Apple started to go down that road. Like you would be, like they would pick um, certain shows and you could like put in, like they'd ask for a mugshot and um you know they would say well this person is on these podcasts and have their own like people page and everything but it was like an invite only thing yeah it, yeah and i'm like well that's really not useful is it i mean it's like what well, that, that's not not even a half of a solution that's like a 100th of a solution yeah well adam you know adam su- submitted his photo i don't know months and months ago and it still doesn't mm. show up on there and yeah. who know who knows what uh, you know i think cridlin said you have to like you know, know somebody who knows somebody, and then uh, participate in a seance and all this kind of stuff to you know actually get yeah. yourself in there. Yeah, so it's basically um, Apple anoints you and says you are worthy um, to have mm-hmm. your mugshot in here and be grouped a special search way. And I'm like, yeah. So that 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 is not helping very many people at all. And right. so one of the simplest ones for me is simply. I mean, I've had um, on the Engineer Network website, Engineer Network website, I've had this baked in from 2015 is um, I had like people, individual people again, flagged against episodes uh, in the uh, the YAML front matter. It's all done in Markdown and I use GoHugo as my um, static site generator. And oh, so okay. I already had all the information there. 
Uh, so having adding the uh, the podcast person tag and uh, and so on was extremely easy to add to the RSS feed. Oh, have you added it already? Oh yeah, I added months ago. Oh and great, great. Yeah. So it's like right now you can go to the internet website and you've been able to do that for the last five or six years is you could actually search and say, well, what episodes has you know, um, you know Marco Armand been on or Merlin Mann been on? And it would give you a list of all the episodes and it take you straight to it. Mm-hmm. But now that can be sucked in by a search platform and people can say, right, well, where's Merlin been? And it's like, oh, hey, he was an episode of Pragmatic. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, the stru- give it, turning that stuff into structured data is, is going to be so good. Mm. You know, because you could you could always do. We we have a search now. We have a we have a person search as uh, endpoint in the API, and you can uh, and we have it's basically a humongous stop list uh, of words, and we pulled out almost everything in the, at least the, in the in the English language and left you know everything that wasn't a known English word, and then uh, we put all that in there, and then we uh, pulled out uh, you know, common words that conflict with names like Mark. Or uh, you know, uh, I don't, can't think of another, but like mm-hmm. the name uh, Mark or uh, something like that that may be a, cro- a crossover. So we put all that stuff out, and the person search in that regard works fine. But it just you know you're missing tons of stuff, and so if you can take instead of having to do that sort of trickery, if you can instead just have purely structured XML uh, data that specifies a person. I mean that that solves the whole problem, mm-hmm. you know. And that that's what we like discoverability in that regard. And it's what XML's for. That's mm-hmm. what it's good at. You know, that's the whole point of it. And so uh, having having that markup language and not using it for these things is a, is criminal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, I was just thinking about it. how is it that how is it was it previously where you would be able to search and specifically search for podcasts that John Syracuse was on. Um, and the way you would do it is you would hope that they were mentioned in the uh, show notes and that that was linked and in, in indexed as part of the feed. That was pretty yeah. much the only way. Um, yep. Or you could go to their website or blog if they had one. Many of them, many people don't. They'll guest on a podcast and it's like they don't have their own blog. So how mm. else are you going to find out about it? So that's a big piece of the discoverability component because um, people listen to people, uh, generally speaking. So it's like they'll follow, like like fans of this show might listen to my other podcasts. Um, like fans of Podcasting Two Point might 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 start following when your your guest appearances. So it's like that ability to discover and search that way is huge, and it's such a simple thing. And it's like Apple sort of started that and did a one hundredth of a job or something like that, and it was just not. So that's one of the things I think is fantastic. It's such a simple thing, and I say a simple thing because I realized that was actually quite hotly debated um yeah <laughs> yeah there's two tags that were the most difficult so far in the last oh gosh five months mm-hmm. in uh, person and location and we yeah. spent oh we spent so much time on, on those two tags <laughs> and every and every time you thought you had it right you know somebody would come in and just blow it up you know and it's like oh no we got to start over again mm-hmm. but uh, but actually and i'm glad those things happened because i think the final sort of the quote-unquote final product that we have, I think it ended up being really good. And it's mm-hmm. – because the, the way I look at these things with the tags is, um, it, you know, we heard early on from hosting companies uh, like Buzzsprout, Fireside, uh, those guys, we heard early on that, you know, if you make the tags – you if you make those things bloated, if you start putting 25 tags per item uh, per episode into a feed – it's just a no go because mm. you know if you you have a company that has um, eighty five thousand active podcast feeds 
that's that's real bandwidth. Mm. You know, you add, you add a couple of k to each one of those feeds, that adds up, and so uh, you're costing them money. So if you do those, if, if you create these things, they have to be lean, and they have to be very like specific and targeted. They have to have a use case. Yeah. You, you don't just start throwing a bunch of stuff into a feed, and that's one thing like. Um, we looked at you know prior art all along the way, and we we try to find as much stuff as we can. And so there, like for instance, there was one uh, with the chapters tag. There was one uh, uh, chapter specification that put chapters in the in the XML uh, from Podlove, and that had been around for a long time. But it just wasn't going to work because you know if a if a show had uh, thirty chapters in it, and they and some do, mm-hmm. if a, if a show had that many chapters, you may. You know, you may bloat that feed up humongous, and yeah. it's just not workable. So that's why we we say, okay, what can we do? So we switch to a JSON format mm-hmm. for the chapters, and then you can just have one link. It's simple, um, so you know, and it doesn't it doesn't bloat the feed. So it's just things like that all along the way that we've had to. Uh, it, it's been nice to have the vo- all these voices. You got app, uh, app developers in the game uh, that are that are making their desires known from a. Uh, consumption and UI perspective and then you got the hosters and that are in there saying oh well don't forget about this I mean we you know you got to think about how difficult this is going to be to write the UI for something like the location tag that's going to be a a pretty Mm -hmm. heavy lift for them on the UI side and they got to make it easy for their users because a lot of their users are not technical and so um, then you have you know and then you have other directories uh, and 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 also listeners so all having all those voices sort of in there together uh, has been really nice and honestly some of the best ideas that have come up for the namespace have come from people who are not developers mm-hmm. uh, they're just podcast listeners that jumped in there and said hey i i wish that i could do so and so yeah it's like oh Oh, that's brilliant! Yes, of course. Why not? <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. Because as developers and IT people, um, you know, I'm a sysadmin uh, by trade, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, as as technical IT developer oriented people, we forget so quickly about uh, you know how hard this stuff can be for non technical users. Yeah, and uh, that's and in the podcasting world, that's a that's a death blow because. Most of the podcasts out there are not done by tech people. Uh, it used to be, but it's not anymore. It's a different ballgame now. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and 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 I've seen a lot of that collaboration going on on the Mastodon. I follow, um, uh, well, yourself, Adam, a bunch of the other people on there, and um, mm. and hence I get generally copied in on uh, on the main feed of uh, on my my timeline of a lot of those conversations. I sort of dig into those as they come up. It's very interesting. And the one on the uh, location tag was interesting as well because I see that under discoverability as well because if I'm looking for podcasts, and, and just to be clear, I think early on when I first heard location, I was confused as to the intent. And I think that I was confused because it was still mm. being debated, not because it was confusing. Um, and that was, is the location the location of where the podcast is recorded? Um, if it's an individual, that's possible. But if it's more than one person and they're not in the same room and they're in different places around the world, is that the location of where they're sitting? And it was like, well, no, that's not really what we're getting at. We want the location of uh, something specific that the episode is focused on. So for me, um, it, my causality was a perfect fit because I, I did a, a, an episode recently about um, – uh, smallpox and uh, the last case of smallpox in the United Kingdom. I was in Birmingham. So absolutely, huh. location tag makes perfect sense for a show like Causality. And so I added it to 
causality. So are you going to go back and add the tag to all your previous shows? Yes, episodes. Well? I've already done that. Okay. Yes. So the entire feed awesome. of, of yeah, entire feed of causality has now got every episode has the correct uh, location. And finding the correct location of Piper Alpha was a challenge. Just saying, but <laughs> yeah, in the well, ocean. Uh, so how, what did you? What do you do? Okay, so let me ask you this: What do you do for like the Challenger? Did you put that at Cape Canaveral? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes. All right. Cool. That's exactly what I did. And I said, technically, you're right. I mean, it would have. I mean, what was it? Its exact GPS coordinates when everything went wrong. Uh-huh. Um, and Columbia is a similar is a similar problem. But no, I, I had to make some decisions. So I picked the launch site. But uh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Space. That, yeah. That, I think that was a critical. I think that was a critical moment in that tag is when we were like, okay, wait. We've been overlooking this one critical piece of information the entire time. Mm-hmm. Is wait, is it is it what the pod, where the podcast is, or was it, or is it what the podcast is about? Yeah, because that makes a huge difference, and we haven't even talked about that yet. Yeah, so uh, no, I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm I'm assuming that at some point we will incorporate more detail on individuals. So if a podcaster uh, like un, uh, under the people tag, a uh, person tag, sorry, um, they can also have a location associated with them if they choose to. Um, but that's mm, yeah. separate from the location tag. Because if I'm searching and I want to look for podcasts about Cape Canaveral, then you know it, it, those two episodes of causality would show up in the feed, um, and that's another way for another way to improve discoverability. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm hoping I'm hoping that extra services pop up around this. So one of the one of the ideas that um, Adam always brings to the table, and this was true for. And this comes from their their experience doing the No Agenda show, mm-hmm. is that the you know they they just allow anybody to do whatever they want with their stuff, and they always have. And so they you know I've always got their listeners are free to just pop up, you know, some merchandise store that puts their logo and their name and all stuff all over it, and they they're like, oh, whatever, you know. And so that's sort of the mindset that we brought to this was. Anybody that wants to hook in and do anything they want, it's it's fine. Right. I mean, that, that's you know we uh, we just are donation based purely, and so we try to uh, encourage people to just do all kinds of crazy stuff. And so one of the things I'm hoping will come out of of the uh, the people and the location tags, the location tags specifically, is I really hope that somebody just creates a location search service, you know, using all this stuff and where you can just look at you know podcast uh, geography.com or something like that you know you just go in there and plug in you know like you said cape canaveral mm-hmm. and then you just get all the stuff about cape canaveral or uh, birmingham civil rights and you get all the stuff all the critical uh, podcasts that happened around birmingham and uh, alabama mm-hmm. so uh, that's that's one thing i hope uh happens and i'm sure it will it's just gonna you know take a little bit of time but if you give if you give that if you just create it and then just sort of give it away to to the uh, to the tech guys, they'll run with it and just do all kinds of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, and and I'm I, I also look briefly into how I could then I suppose um, inversely incorporate what I just incorporated into the website because I thought, well, I could actually read those GPS coordinates and put that up on a uh, on an open street map and embed that in the website so that as you flip through the feed on the website, it would give you a nice picture as to where that that was on the world map and oh, i um yeah. i put that into the future enhancement bucket and we're gonna we'll deal with that <laughs> later but yes so you build your site with hugo though right yes i do yes okay so that shouldn't be too that shouldn't be too mm. too troublesome no i know i bet that would yeah that'd be that'd be cool i i've, I've got a i don't know much about hugo but i've got a buddy who's real into it and he's he's just like 
He loves it. Yeah. Oh, it's got a lot going for it, and uh, I've been using it now for probably about probably three and a half years, and it's uh, yeah, it's been transformative. Okay. It really did fix so many problems. I used to use something called Statamic. I don't know if you've come across Statamic before. I uh, don't think I've heard of that. Yeah, no, nah, yeah. it it was a bit of a niche product, and uh, I'd written it for version one, and then version two broke a lot of things, and then version three broke everything else. So I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> So it's like Swift. Yes, it's exactly like Swift, yes. <laughs> Before we go any further, I'd like to talk to you about a sponsor for this episode, Premium Jane, a US-based provider of organic CBD products that meet the highest standards of quality and purity. Premium Jane offer a range of CBD products, including oils, topical creams, capsules, gummies, bath bombs, treats for your pets, and lots more. All Premium Jane products are made from 100% organic Kentucky-grown industrial hemp, and a third-party lab tested to ensure the highest standards of quality and purity. CBD is short for cannabidiol and is one of the active compounds found in hemp plants. CBD in Premium Jane products is extracted using carbon dioxide extraction techniques from the industrial hemp plant, and this combination achieves a very high purity result. Some people have reported that CBD helps them maintain a sense of calm, aids their focus on tasks, and helps their management of everyday stresses and even with their sleep cycles. To find out more about CBD and to look at the full range of Premium Jane's products, visit this URL, premiumjane, or one word, dot com, for more information and make sure you use the coupon code PJ20OFF. That's PJ, the letters, 20, the numbers, and OFF, the word, to get 20% off of your purchase. Thank you to Premium Jane for sponsoring the Engineered Network. Okay, so... um. Right, so the other one, just on quickly on discoverability, I wanted to touch on um, is Soundbite. And it's it's one of the things oh, yeah. yeah it's one of the things that really annoyed me about the way that the whole um, Apple trailer thing works. So you can flag an episode in your feed as the trailer, and different platforms will see that as a trailer, like well Apple will, but other platforms won't necessarily. Um, and you mm. like in some of those platforms, I'd show it like a normal episode, which could be really annoying. So I I sort of looked at Soundbite and I'm like, oh, and you're going to flag one per feed, right? So. Soundbite on the other for hand. Soundbite, uh, not for Soundbite. No, 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 for the uh, trailer. Oh, for the Apple. Yeah, for the okay, Apple okay, tag. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas what I love about the Soundbite is that I can have multiple Soundbites if I want to on a per episode basis if I want to, um, mm-hmm. which is you know the ultimate in flexibility. So if someone wants to come and listen to an episode, and some of the episodes of causality are an hour and ten minutes long, so how do you know you want to listen to that episode about the seven thirty seven Max? Well, you know, I, I can now highlight multiple sections in there that people can have a pre listen to. 10, 15 second snippets, multiple thereof, and they can make a decision if they want to dive into that and listen to the whole thing. So, you know, I think that that is also um, a big win for discoverability. Yeah, no, I think so too. That, uh, that was a tag that um, that Buzzsprout had been kicking around in, in the back of their mind for a while. And they um, they brought two things to the table pretty quick. They brought transcripts and uh, soundbite. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's two things that they had they already had transcript in production um but the only podcast app out there that would uh handle it was podcast addict okay and so they just sort of had like a one one-to-one thing going on with podcast addict and um so then we they were like hey let's just stick this in the in the namespace and so we re-engineered it and stuck it in there and then pretty quickly after that they're like hey we also have this idea of sound bites uh and we we kind of already know what we want um and so let's, you know, let's, they put that as a tag proposal and we adopted it pretty quick because it's so simple. Mm. And, you know, you can uh, actually another uh, a service came out just today. Some uh, Andy Lehman on the uh, uh, on the Mastodon server, 
he just released his podcast soundbites.com. It's still very early, but he's making a, a soundbite search service. Um, and so there's stuff popping up around soundbites already, but they, they brought that to the table. And I thought, uh, the soundbite idea is so neat because you just, you don't have to have a separate audio file. You don't have to address a whole episode. Mm-hmm. You can just say, uh, here's a soundbite and it's in, it's just a reference to the enclosure and it starts at this timestamp and it lasts for this duration. Mm-hmm. It's it. It's just so simple. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's, it's brilliantly simple and, uh, and, it all helps for discoverability, which has been one of the biggest problems um, with podcasts. And, and it's like the podcast stagnation problem that you mentioned at the very beginning that Podcasting 2.0 is trying to overcome. You know, a lot of the, my issues with it are related to discoverability. Uh, because mm-hmm. if, you've got, if you've got an existing audience and you bring an existing audience, so let's say you're... Um, um, like you're you you've been a you're a movie star or you're or a radio personality or something like that, and you start a podcast. Well, obviously you you're bringing an audience with you, and then you if you're only featured, if Apple anoints you to be featured, um, then how do people find you if you're not one of those people? Because those people are coming into the space and essentially drowning out everybody else, and and it's like well some of that is deserved some of it isn't perhaps but irrespective that's just the way it, it seemed to work and it didn't seem to be a way around it so if you can improve the discoverability of people that don't don't have those sorts of audiences then hopefully um the better stuff will um float to the top yeah and that's that's the that's the hope, hope anyway i think our idea around that and this is why we went we created the podcast index api uh, i think our We've never really articulated it, but I think that our idea was that discoverability follows apps. Mm. Um, So you can go back to what happened with uh, RSS readers. And as soon as Google Reader came into the space, it just all all progress stopped. Uh, Everything was just frozen in time, basically, uh, when it comes to when it came to uh, podcast readers from then on. And so you used to have this huge wealth of, of podcast reading apps, you know, NetNewsWire and mm-hmm. um, all these different um, podcasts, excuse me, uh, newsfeed reading apps. Google Reader comes in and it just, every, all the um, uh, innovation stops. And it, had, it lasted for a long time. Well, then when they shut Google Reader down, all of a sudden you see this explosion of apps, you know, Feedbin, Feedly, uh, you know, NetNewsWire's back. Mm-hmm. You know, all these all these apps now, you know, you've got two dozen feed reader apps. And so when we're, ho- we were thinking, you know, when it comes to podcast apps, it's sort of the same deal. It's, you got the Apple podcast app, you've got, uh, with, you know, which is sort of the app default tyranny of the default thing. Hmm. You've got, uh, Spotify, which, you know, bought their way into the game. And then you've got, um, Overcast, Podcast Addict. That's m- most of the market right there. And the dif- and the, the difference in market share between uh, number two and number three is humongous. Mm. And so we thought, well, you know, if we can allow more apps to come on the scene, that's going to bring with it new options for discoverability because you're, you're inevitably going to get apps that focus on one thing or another or – are good at one thing or another. And so maybe maybe by uh, broadening the app ecosystem, you can help the discoverability problem too. Because like you said, 
when you just have when everybody's relying on getting up to the front page of Apple, uh, of Apple Podcasts, mm-hmm. it's just not going to do it. I mean, th- there's just not enough room. There's too there's too much inventory and not enough space, you know. And so we we thought, well, if we can get more apps going by lowering that that barrier of entry with having to run 25 servers and, you know, on your back end, uh, then maybe the discoverability problem will begin to solve itself as well. Um, and then you, plug, you throw the namespace on there and that gets even better because now you have, you know, now you have things popping up that aren't even podcast apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, like the podcast soundbites thing we were talking about a while ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's those things, that's not a podcast app. But it's helping you find podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think they go hand in hand, and and I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy about the sense of innovation that has come back, uh, because I th- I think that a lot of this stuff. Here's a good example. I mean, Blue, Blueberry, mm-hmm. Todd over at Blueberry, uh, Todd and Mike, they have been wanting uh, transcripts, uh, some sort of transcript tag, for seven or eight years yeah, and just there, it just, nobody could agree on it. And, you know, now it's there. So I think just that, that one thing to, to help innovation, just sort of help uh, bootstrap that sense and that feeling of innovation uh, that is going to pay all kinds of dividends down the road with discoverability and just people's ability to see what podcasting is capable of on the tech side. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you've mentioned a few times now the transcript thing. So when originally the tag came out for transcript um, in namespace, I sort of like shook my head and I'm like, but I thought transcripts were a solved problem. And my problem was that I didn't realize that no one had actually agreed on it until I dug into it. And then I'm like, oh, wow, they it's it's <laughs> yeah. 2020 and they still haven't agreed. What? Hmm. It's low hanging fruit. It is. Why is, why is it not how, how is this difficult? So it's like, you know, that was a, that was a like you say, low hanging fruit, easy win. However you want to, whatever you want to mm-hmm. say, however you want to put it. Um, but that's great too, because I went through and did um, uh, a whole bunch of, you know, uh, transcribing, just using uh, Dragon Dictate years ago, um, of my back catalog of uh, of most of Pragmatic, um, and I think I did a few of Causality, but I just had them linked uh, on oh. the website, but they were, they were never embedded in the feed. So um, mm-hmm. on another one on my to do list is to um, is to introduce that properly uh, through using the namespace in the feed and link to those files mm-hmm. and and uh, and do them as, as SRT files and have them time linked, um, time stamped and such. But on the to do list, yeah, it's a really cool experience to see that on a on a podcast app and just see it looks. Oh yeah, man, it's like closed captions on Netflix or something. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, it looks it makes it look really really professional, um, even though it's mm-hmm. not that technically complicated to actually do it. But when you see it all come together in the final app, it does look very professional. So that's for yeah, sure. it does. And 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 all I mean, and and not to mention the uh, accessibility stuff that goes along with that. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, true. You know, there's a there's a yeah there's a big uh, there's a big component of that to it for. People who are just hard of you know hard of hearing and have challenges in that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So that one um, requires a little bit more effort on the podcaster, but it's good to know that that's there now. So it is on my to do list, um, and uh, I think that's another one that's great for discoverability. So I think that's most of the ones on discoverability that I wanted to just touch on. Um, there are probably other other couple of ones, but I really want to move on to interactivity because I struggled with I struggle with the idea of of, of the category of interactivity because. For originally when you and Adam were talking about um, you know the chapters 
um, Adam kept calling them community chapters, and um, it just I never really connected for about a, I don't know, three or four episodes as to what he actually meant. Um, because to me, chapters have been around embedded in the MP3 file from for a very long time in the ID3 yeah. uh, spec, and that's nothing new. Um, even storing the chapters independently um, in so what I did on my site previously back in 2015 is I I trialed a thing where I had it in the YAML. So my, my YAML front matter would have all of the uh, timestamps for different chapter settings and artwork and so on. And I only had it embedded in the website. There was no way to put it in the RSS feed at that point, mm. of course. Um, so I'd kind of indirectly done similar to what he was suggesting but in the end it wasn't community editable and that was the point and it took me a little while to get my head around the fact is that what adam was pushing for was something that a community could then provide input into so the listeners of the show could contribute and say well i think this would be perfect chapter art at this time stamp uh, when you're talking about blah 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 and that Mm -hmm. community interactivity was actually the point of putting it in that file, as best I can tell, is driving that that interactivity with the audience. And I and I believe that um, that you now have someone who actually does this regularly, an audience, a, a fan of the shows doing this for. I'm not sure if it was mm. No Agenda or Podcasting 2.0 or both. I'm not sure. Both, both, both. Yeah. yeah. So that's something that's yep. just completely new. No one's ever done that before, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I'm not aware of it either. And so, yeah, for just to catch everybody up up to speed, you know what. What he, uh, you know, what you're talking about, John, is just the ability to um, put all of the chapters not not in the MP3 file itself or the AAC file or whatever it is, but but have but to take the chapters and stick them in uh, our specification, which is uh, it's a JSON spec that's on that's tied to the namespace. You can just put all those uh, chapters into a JSON file that's stored uh, alongside your you know alongside your uh, MP3, and then. Uh, the way that we're doing it uh, through um, one of our developers who va- who's active on uh, uh, podcastindex.social, uh, uh, David Norman, he uh, ha- runs Hypercatcher. It's an app, uh, podcast app for iOS, but he's got a companion uh, tool called Hypercatcher Studio. And so he baked in the ability to edit the JSON, the, chap- the JSON chapter format. And so you basically create the JSON chapter uh, file for your episode and then um, link it, link that file URL to in the chapters tag uh, for that episode in your feed. And so then uh, anybody else who's got a hyper, who's got the hypercatcher app can listen to the show. And as they're listening there, they can tag chapters and they can drop in uh, chapter art and they can, drop in a URL or name, you know, and a chapter name and all this kind of stuff. And so as as they're doing that, they're building the JSON chapters for you. And so what we see is, like, we'll release a show. Adam will go ahead and just create the, the dummy chapter file uh, for that episode mm-hmm. uh, of Podcasting 2.0. He'll create, he'll create the, the, uh, the JSON file and stick it up there. And then uh, at first, when it first comes out, you may see two or three chapters that he put in there by default, but then, you know, as it goes through the week, you just start to see all these more, you know, all these other chapters come up, and it's uh, it's mostly uh, headed up by one uh, guy, Dreb Scott, uh, who's active in in the Mastodon, but he he's doing our chapters and he's doing a lot of the No Agenda chapters, but then uh, so he he's sort of like the moderator, 
And so he'll uh, approve, you know, chapters and he puts stuff in himself, but then other people will submit and he'll say, yeah, you know, this, go, this, this is fine to go in. And it's just, you see this crazy building of the chapters that happens over the course of a couple of days as people listen. And, uh, we, he's so good at it and he, you know, he's so, uh, committed to it that we put him as a split in our, um, light in our lightning, uh, value tag. Mm-hmm. So he's now getting, he's now getting paid to do that for us. And, you know, if he, you know, if he gets tired of it and bails out, that's fine. But, um, mm. we, you know, it's all community driven. And, uh, as far as I know, I, that's never happened before. And it's, no. and I think it can probably, we can take that and probably put it, we can take that idea and probably put it into some other stuff too, down the line, you know, that, that will be coming up with, uh, uh, some of the other tags that we're talking about with, um, uh, like, so like, uh, social or not social, but like, uh, discussion tags and that kind of thing. I, mm-hmm. I think that that model works really well because it keeps the feed really lean and, and small. Uh, but then you can have this whole rich interactive file that goes along with it and it doesn't mess up the feed at all. Like you, it doesn't conflict with anything that's already in your podcast, but if a podcast app knows how to read that format it's like boom! You get all this cool stuff. I mean, it's pretty neat because you you can be sitting there listening to an episode, and uh, not you're not just seeing show art. Sometimes you'll it'll pop up with a um, you know, with a screen you know, like an, an iframe, mm-hmm. and you can just scroll through a website. I mean, because if if Adam is talking about some article he read, well, you just see the article there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like being a. It's like turning your podcast into a. PowerPoint presentation or something. Yeah. That sounds horrible. No, that sounds horrible. <laughs> Nobody wants that. But it's actually cooler no, than that. No, a, a, an actually good PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, and they they, they <laughs> yeah. do exist. It's just they're rare. But um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. It 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 is um, it's transformative in in my opinion in terms of that interactive element, and it offloads uh, some of the additional work and a lot of the podcasters face, uh, and provides another opportunity for audience interaction and uh, for listener interaction. And um, and those are all really good things because um, listeners that are big fans of, of of shows want to contribute something. And um, and uh, one of the things that you guys talk about is the whole value for value kind of model and uh, time, talent, and treasure. And um, it's like that's someone's time uh, helping with the chapters, but that's time that you and Adam don't have to spend. Uh, so as a podcast creator, if you're focusing on creating content do you really want to spend time breaking it up into 20 chapters and finding appropriate show art and so on and so forth? Most podcasters couldn't be bothered and won't do it because it's just extra time and effort. Um, yeah. Yeah, for the longest time, I didn't do it. Um, in, and, I, and I still don't always do it for pragmatic. I definitely do it for every episode of causality though. But, um, mm. but I never used to do that. And it's just an extra burden that I've sort of taken on. And I've gone back and forth over whether I would do interactive community chapters or not on something like causality. And I think I'm a little bit too much of a um, too much too much OCD perfectionist. Yeah, perfection. yeah. yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. Don't, I don't think I could hand that over. I mean, like, no, it's my my chapter. But um, see, that's the thing. But you you're you've converted me to causality now. I'm I'm totally <laughs> on board. I'm I'm hooked a hundred percent on that show. Like, I mean, I have not really stopped listening to it for uh, for a while. And so, uh, like, for a show like uh, causality. I, I would totally be willing to to, to sit down and, and do chapters and and do all those kinds of things and say like and I'm not really that guy mm. you know I'm not really the guy who gets all sold out as part of a an audience mm. but if you can if you find your audience that loves your show mm. or your product mm-hmm. 
they are willing to give you their time, not just their money. Some mm. that's the thing is, it, I think people are and right, you know, and and rightly so. People get really focused on things like Patreon and that kind of sort that thing because they they really want their show to make money. Mm-hmm. But the other aspect of that really is a time part because if you think about, um, just take a show like um, I don't know, uh, Accidental Tech. Mm-hmm. Accidental Tech is a show that may take three, hey, maybe two and a half, three hours. Mm-hmm. When you finish with that show, the thought of having to go back. And edit it mm. and do the chapters mm-hmm. and do a transcript yep. and do all this kind of stuff. I mean, you've got six, seven hours in, in each episode, and that's a that's a lot. If you could offload that, you know, like Adam does with No Agenda, I mean, if you offload that with to your audience, even if it's just a tiny fraction of your audience that's willing to get in there and do some of that work for you, mm-hmm. man, that is a huge time saver. Mm. Uh, that's a li- that's that's a life changer, really. Mm, exactly, and it's it's funny. I, I sort of think back to one of the comments you made earlier about who's actually podcasting these days, and then it used to just be a bunch of geeks because you know we knew how to do all of these things. But mind you, we didn't know very much about how to make very good audio. I think that's fair to say across the board, <laughs> yeah. and that's why a lot of the early yeah. podcasters sounded terrible, and that's okay. <laughs> uh, but you know, so we learned that skill. But now, of course, with the tools maturing and uh, things getting uh, a lower barrier for entry, uh, people are now able, like normal, regular people who are not geeks, are tech savvy enough to do this. But they may not be tech savvy enough to sort out all the chapters. But now, if they can outsource that essentially um, to the fan base, then suddenly that's one less thing for them to do, and it incre- improves the value of what they're creating. Yeah, and so everyone benefits, and uh, and I like that. That's really good. Yeah, I think I think this next generation of podcast apps, um, Sphinx is one you know example mm-hmm. that sort of marries all these ideas together. Uh, Hypercatcher would be another example. Like we. We really have not seen anything like this before. No. Um, it's kind of it's kind of crazy if you you know, and I'm, I'm well, we may talk about Sphinx and that kind of thing before, but like just stepping back for a second and looking at Hypercatcher, that app uh, has this idea that you're editing chapters in the app that you're listening to the podcast in. Yeah, that is something that's new. Yeah, I mean, that's out if, there. If yeah, I mean, how how often? I mean. That's just weird mm. from a, from if you think about all what we have gotten used to, which is this sort of inbox style of of podcast app. You know, it's OK. Mm. Here's your episodes. You're going li- to listen mm-hmm. and you're done. Yeah. If you th- bring in this element of interactivity to it where you're actually literally modifying the show or participating in the chat or something like that right there in the app, mm-hmm. it's kind of a it's kind of a you know, mind blower. Mm. Oh, for sure. And so, I mean, the interactivity component, um, I was thinking about, like, well, what else could we do? Because um, I've been making podcasts now for about eight years. And, you know, I, I think about like from well, different kinds, of course, um, but for different periods of time. Uh, and I think about like different shows have different requirements. And uh, one of the ones that uh, is popular are things like Q&A, um, you know, like mm. uh, or Ask Me Anything kind of things um and then there's proposals for you know future topics for example like it'd be great if you guys could talk about blah 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 and they just and it seems like the most popular place to throw that sort of thing is like a hashtag on twitter or something um i mean there's there's many other ways of doing it of course but i mean that's the one that i've seen used quite regularly and i mean there's no reason why we couldn't like extend for example 
um, to having like a tag for like proposed topics or Q&A or something like that um, mm-hmm. using exactly the same methodology as the uh, community chapters at some point in the future. I know it's not currently a tag, but um, mm-hmm. I'm also, I guess I'm just pimping my idea because I put that one on there. <laughs> well, it could be, but uh, throw it on there, man. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're on GitHub. Yeah, it's so on there. Put it up there. Yeah, it's on there. Yeah. But anyway, so, but look, I really want to move forward to the, the, the last topic monetization because it's not straightforward and it's going to take a little bit of time. So, um, oh, yeah. which is of yeah, course a big one. part of a problem, but it's also cool. So, you know, got, got to, got to talk about it. So, um, there are a couple of little tags in there, things like the locked tag, which I think is good to prevent people from just stealing your feed, which is good. Um, yeah. It doesn't really fall into any of those other classifications, but it kind of like felt like a, the minimum barrier of entry. Uh, it's like, it, sorry, the price of entry, really. It should have been from day one. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that, that's in there. That was a tag that was all about uh, shaming a, a couple of companies that yeah. were bad about doing that mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. give just... It's all about just giving the ammo to uh, to make the to make those people feel bad about what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, understand. But I, mean, I think that 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 sort of thing. It's like it's a solved problem with um, like domain transfer. Uh, I think more yeah. or less. And yet here we are with podcasts, and it was something that had never happened. And at first, I thought, well, why why do we need it? And then I read up about it. And I'm like, oh my god, how come we haven't had this yet? So, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like a lot of these tags, in fact. Yeah, it, it really is like that a lot. It's it's fun. It's funny when somebody comes up with something, you're like, eh, yeah, yeah, maybe. And then they're like, and then they just subtly tweak it, and they're like, well, what about this? And you're like, yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that wait, that makes so much sense. Why didn't I see that before? You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, people have great ideas, man. I mean, like that's that's really if there's any uh, thing that has contributed to the podcast uh, namespace success, uh, which and we're. I think current stats are we about 10, a little over ten percent of all podcasts now have the names the podcast namespace in it. That's awesome. Uh huh. And that 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 does not include Lipson. Uh, those stats do not include Lipson, which now puts the tag header. They put the uh, the declaration, the namespace declaration in, but they have not implemented the tags yet. So that'll be another mm. you know seventy five thousand feeds or so. Uh, so we're making a lot of progress. Yeah. Uh, technically, I suppose you could go into the um, to the custom tags and then add them, and it'll defeat it, validate, and libs in. But mm-hmm. yeah. most normal people aren't going to do that. They're going to wait for it to be available on the front end um, UI. And that's the interesting thing about the Libsyn mm. uh, deal is that it's actually pretty neat because the they that they are going to now be the only uh, host where you can use the value tag. Uh, oh, because yeah. you could drop it in their custom, True. Uh, yeah, and so that's that's actually kind of kind of an odd little quirk to this that makes that very interesting. People, if you're you know if you're Lipson uh, feed uh, customer, you can go in there and put the value tag, mm-hmm. even though they don't, uh, even though the other hosting companies that have done a lot more with the actual tags themselves, you couldn't do that over there. So it's kind of a weird mix, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, since you Brent mentioned it, I think it's about um, about time we talked about the value tag. And the funny thing about the 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 value tag is, I think that's not technically in um, phase one or phase two because we break we're breaking down the tags into different phases to try and make them bite sized chunks to deliver a, a bunch at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's still it's not technically in phase one or phase two, is it? As a as a tag, it's in it's in limbo. Yeah. It's in limbo. It's, it has the limbo. It has phase. no phase. And I don't know when it's going to be actually officially adopted because mm. it's complicated. It is. And I keep thinking we can't really – I think it's going to take a while because it, 
it seems straightforward and it works perfectly right now, but I'm waiting for somebody to come in and I know this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for somebody to come in and say, okay, what about this use case? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to be like, uh, you know, the way it's structured now is not going to work. We're going to have to tweak this. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that to happen after it's already delivered. And so I keep kind of just giving it some time. I'm like, eh. And I also know that it's not a rush type deal mm-hmm. because so, the, the hosting companies are completely not prepared. No, they're not. For that. You know, they don't, their customers are not asking for it. That is, even if we finalized it today, it would be a long time before any of them saw any reason to actually put it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I, th- I think it's going to be a while. It's, it's going to be in limbo for the, for, the time, for the foreseeable future. Okay. Before we go any further, I'd like to talk to you about another sponsor for our episode, and that's ManyTricks, makers of helpful apps for the Mac, whose apps do, you guessed it, many tricks. And their apps include Butler, Keymail, Leech, Desktop Curtain, TimeSync, Moom, Name Mangler, Resolutionator, Witch, and the return of Usher with Usher 2. There's so much to talk about for each app that they make, so we're going to touch on highlights for six of them, starting with Usher 2, and that's the return of the classic Usher. But now it's a full 64-bit app that works well with Catalina and Mac OS 11 Big Sur. So what is Usher? It's an amazingly powerful media management and playback app that can see movies you have in TV, music and photos apps, or any library location you'd prefer on your Mac. It can organize them for you if you like. You can create advanced playlists and sorting criteria, and you can even edit their information all from within Usher. Not only that, to celebrate the return of Usher, you can grab the Usher 2 beta from the link in the show notes, and there's a special pre-sale just for it as well. Check it out. Time Sync. Track your time spent in apps or activities on your Mac. The simple and easy way with TimeSync. You can pull your apps by common activities, create custom trackers for non-Mac activities, and its simple but powerful reporting feature shows you exactly where your time went so you can plan better and stay focused. Resolutionator is so simple. A drop-down menu from the menu bar and you can change the resolution of whatever display you like that's currently connected to your Mac. The best part, though, you can even set your resolution to fit more pixels than are actually there. It's very handy when you're stuck on your laptop and you need more screen real estate. Which? You should think about which as a supercharger for your command tab app switcher. If you've got three or four documents open at once in any one app, then which's beautifully simple pop-up quickly lets you pick exactly the one you're looking for. You can switch between tabs as well as apps and app windows with horizontal, vertical or menu bar switching panels with full text search for switching. You can show the frontmost app in the menu bar icon with full touch bar support and much, much more. Name Mangler. You've got a whole bunch of files to rename quickly, efficiently, and in large numbers. Well, Name Mangler can help you. It's designed for staged renaming sequences with powerful rejects pattern matching. Recent additions include a group by feature when making a sequence and title case conversions can now keep their existing formatting or convert them to lowercase based on their word length. The best part is it shows you the result as you go, and if you mess it up, you can just revert back to where you started and try again. Moom makes it easy to move any of your windows to whatever screen positions you want. Halves, corners, edges, fractions of the screen. And then you can even save and recall your favorite window arrangements with a special auto-arrange feature when you connect or disconnect an external display. It has full touch bar support and keyboard integration with Adobe's apps, and it also works perfectly on an iPad operating in sidecar mode and has a sharper hexagonic look in Big Sur. It's the first app I load on a new Mac because it's just awesome. Now, that's just six of their great apps, and that's only about half of them, and they all work on the latest version of macOS Big Sur. All of these apps have free trials that you can download from ManyTricks or OneWord.com slash pragmatic, and you can easily try them out before you buy them. 
They're all available from their website or through the Mac App Store. However, if you visit that URL, you can take advantage of a special discount off their very helpful apps exclusively for Engineered Network listeners. Simply use Engineer25. That's Engineer, the word, and 25, the numbers, in the discount code box in the shopping cart to receive a 25% off. Now, this offer is only available to Engineered Network listeners for a limited time, so take advantage of it while you can. Thank you once again to Many Tricks for sponsoring the Engineered Network. We have to crack this nut somehow, and I'm thinking, right. how do we start? And I'm thinking we have to start with Bitcoin because I... Okay, so I have... Give us a rundown of exactly how Bitcoin works, John. Oh, yeah, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so I just want to start by saying up front that everything I have learned about Bitcoin and Lightning, um, I only started caring about this um, after September last year when I started listening to Podcasting 2.0. So prior to that, I was aware... Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, it's Now my brain has melted, so yes, thank you for that too. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, so turns out that this whole Bitcoin thing's been going on for quite a while and I was tangentially aware of it. You know, it's, it's like I'm, I'm aware that there are places in the world that I've never been to either. So I was aware of Bitcoin um, and it was over there and it was happy. Um, but it, learning all the ins and outs of it and then understanding what the problems were, um, I, I'm going to have a stab at this and just tell me how how well I did because I think you've been okay. across Bitcoin along with me. Um, right. So basically, uh, basically, Bitcoin uh, is based on the concept of a blockchain and a blockchain can be used for anything you like. Um, but the data for this is particularly about a currency that's called Bitcoin. And the idea is that um, you will have a Bitcoin miner, which will do a bunch of calculations for transactions. And those transactions and that Bitcoin miner will go and crunch away and they each compete uh, through a series of uh, distributed nodes and they distribute the result of the distributed nodes until a winner is agreed upon. And that winner then becomes the head of the blockchain and then the next set of transactions get uh, essentially queued up and then they start crunching away at that. And essentially, um, as a reward for being the winning block, you will be awarded uh, a certain amount of um, Bitcoin. And the amount of Bitcoin is being reduced gradually over time as a reward uh, because the, I suppose, the amount of money in the system, well, Bitcoin in the system is increasing as the, Bitcoin, as the blockchain grows. Um, the only other thing I would suggest is that there's more than one kind of cryptocurrency. And this is the problem a lot of people have with the terminology. I certainly, I had the same problem is that there's more than one blockchain and each of the blockchains can represent a different kind of cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin is not actually the name of every single cryptocurrency out there. Cause there's lots of them. There's like Litecoin and Dogecoin or something. I don't know. There's a whole yeah, there's a bunch of different crazy. There's group. a lot of them. There are. Hive. There's a lot of them. Yes. And it's like, okay. So, um, so, but Bitcoin is the oldest and most popular, um, as I, to my understanding. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Lightning relates to Bitcoin specifically, um, as a method of, uh, okay, we'll get to that in a minute. So, um, first things first, how did I go? Is that roughly? Right. <laughs> I'm not going to correct anything you said because I think that is absolutely fine. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a the 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 really big thing that makes Bitcoin what it is is the proof of work and the miners. Yeah. And uh, you know, the miners uh, pull transactions out of out of the mempool and uh, compete with each other to be the first one to solve a hash, uh, and the the first one that uh, solves that hash gets the uh, Gets the reward, which is the coin base of the new block, and so they get new they get new coins. But even after even after all the coins are mined, uh, which there'll only ever be twenty one million of those, 
uh, even after all the coins are mined, the uh, miners still are incentivized to to do their job uh, based on fees. They get transaction fees, and uh, so if you want to send Bitcoin from, if I want to send you, you know, a bit half a Bitcoin, uh, I'm gonna have to pay a fee to get that done, mm-hmm. and so um, that fee goes to the miner. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm not gonna correct anything you said. I think it's perfectly fine, uh, but. Uh, probably the the lightning is where it gets interesting. Yeah. So that 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 what I try to do is give the high level you know version of it, and that is an, a gross simplification of certain aspects of it. But that's the gist of it. So mm-hmm. what I learned very quickly with with Bitcoin um, and the reason that everyone's so excited about lightning is that um, the law of supply and demand um, over the mempool and getting transactions. Um, uh, mind and such and so on and so forth, um, that can actually get expensive. And it's not just that, it's also how many of them transactions you can theoretically process in any given uh, moment in time, like time period, minute, hour, whatever, transactions per, I forget the time base they use, but... 10 minutes. Per 10 minutes. Roughly. Okay. So it's like that is a, that's a problem with Bitcoin because of the way that that works. And so one of the proposals was, a, I think it's a second level... Protocol, I forget the name that they use. Layer, yeah, like a layer two. Layer is what two. Call, yeah. yeah, so it's a layer two protocol. And the idea is that um, we will build a series of nodes and those nodes will talk to each other and open up transactions channels to each other. And uh, each of those channels will have a certain amount of funds available on each end, um, liquidity on each end, inbound and outbound uh, liquidity. If you, in theory, then connect enough of those nodes together, you can transact completely independent um, off of the main blockchain. And the only time you interact with the blockchain is when you open or close a channel. Right. Uh, and apart from that, all the nodes and the routing of, of funds through those nodes um, is all set on a very, very inexpensive amount of money that's set by whoever is using that node as a lightning node to forward on you know, transactions. So mm-hmm. does that pretty much cover it? I don't know. Yeah, so the the difference between the Bitcoin, uh, I think you did. I think that was that was very uh, uh, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. The difference between the Bitcoin uh, on chain transactions, or excuse me, the Bitcoin on chain operation and Lightning. The the main things to know are that uh, Lightning operates on more of a BGP style routing, mm-hmm. uh, traditional network hops like that sort of thing versus Bitcoin, which is really a peer-to-peer gossip-based protocol. Mm-hmm. And so um, from a networking standpoint, if you forget the crypto part of it, from a networking standpoint, it's automatically going to be uh, faster. It's going to be more efficient uh, because it has the power of traditional uh, packet-based uh, concept networking in it. Uh, but then you have, uh, like you said, the idea of channels. So you conduct, uh, say, I, I have a lightning node, you have a lightning node, and uh, we want uh, to be able to exchange funds with each other. Uh, we open a channel between each other, and so we do one on-chain transaction to open that channel. And let's just say it's a uh, hundred thousand satoshis, mm-hmm. and a satoshi is one is a one hundred millionth of a bitcoin. So let's say I open a hundred thousand satoshi channel to you. Uh, we open that channel together. It, that that what that is doing is essentially creating a multi-signature address that we that we share we both have private keys for Mm -hmm. and so then we can exchange funds on uh private ledgers off quote unquote off chain uh is the terminology and then once that channel closes 
we settle up that those ledgers and that's uh, put back on chain. Mm-hmm. And so you have uh, you can just do super fast uh, payments for very very low fees. Sometimes uh, no fees if you're if you have a private channel between uh, two parties. Mm-hmm. And so you can it opens up. Bitcoin is never going itself on chain is never going to be able to scale to something that can handle Visa and Mastercard level transaction volume. They just can't do it uh, because you're only talking about a transaction. Uh, excuse me, a new block every ten minutes, roughly, mm-hmm. and uh, so I don't know somewhere between two thousand and four thousand transactions approximately per per block. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just not much, mm-hmm. and so you had there in order for this thing to scale. There had to be a layer two on top of it that allowed for a higher volume, lower fee type scenario, and that's what Lightning is, and it solves. It really does solve that problem. And now the, you know, at the beginning, Lightning was this same uh, type of concept as as sort of on chain payments. It was okay. I'm going to. I want to get paid. I'm going to send you an invoice. Uh, and then you're going to pay the invoice. And so that uh, that idea was more this sort of like a traditional transaction uh, from two two party perspective. Mm-hmm. And what changed the game for uh, for Adam, and he's the first one he he called he called me. We had already had the idea for the podcast index before we ever even thought about the lightning stuff. Sure. But uh, you know, if you know Adam's track record, you know that when he calls you and says hey i've got this idea and i think it's i think it's going to be pretty it could be pretty big mm-hmm. you you better kind of stop what you're doing and listen yeah, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't mean it's going to be it doesn't mean it's going to work mm-hmm. but you better listen to it because it might mm-hmm. oh, yeah. so um you know he said and we were already uh, talking about the uh, the api and the index and everything and he said uh, you know i just read about keysend and keysend is the part of lightning that is a it's like an open invoice. Mm-hmm. You can just if you if I know your Lightning Node ID, I can just send you money. I don't have to ask your permission. You just get it. Mm-hmm. And as long as your as long as your Lightning Node accepts key send payments and my Lightning Node can handle key send payments, mm-hmm. I can just send you money all day long. And so that was really the thing he said. Why you know everybody is struggling to figure out Patreon and how to, how to get paid and all this kind of stuff. And they're, they're really at the mercy of their advertisers. Yeah. Uh, that's a, you know, it's a huge deal for, for some, uh, you know, like politically based podcasts. Mm-hmm. They're always at the, at, at risk of somebody that doesn't like them coming after their advertisers. So he's like, in order for, um, to, to, to sort of get rid of all of that, um, why don't we try to come up with something where, uh, we can layer lightning on top of uh, podcast apps. And so that's the ultimate value for value model. So, you, you know, as I'm listening, I'm sending you little small amounts of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. you know, once a minute or once every 10 minutes or some time interval. Mm-hmm. And there's no, uh, there's no uh, sort of, there's, there's no parties in between. It's just a direct transaction between me and you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, God, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's, um, it's, yes. it's, it's mind bendingly, um, um, it's, it's simple and it's an amazing idea. And it took me a little while to get my head around it. It's like, it literally is pay per listen, but as you listen, 
Um, mm-hmm. And so you get rewarded, um, you know, as a content creator, and I do hate that term, but still as a <laughs> yeah. content creator, um, if you have someone who has a high listen through rate um, as a listener, they listen all the way through to 97% of, of the episode. The last, you know, 3% is, you know, just you rambling on saying, hey, please rate us in iTunes or whatever the heck you say at the end of it. Yeah. You know. Hey, guys. Yeah, yeah, hey, guys. Yeah, just yeah, anyway. But yeah, please don't worry about the whole ratings thing. That's been debunked. But never mind. It's fine. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but the idea is that you will get rewarded for that 97% duration of the person listening directly through um, through Keysend. Um, and if your episode is you know, really, really boring and horrible and, I don't know, you offend everybody five minutes in, well, you're only going to get yeah. sats for the first five minutes and then after that, you're not going to get anything. And it's like that's the ultimate in uh, the ultimate granularity of listener engagement. It's like I'm paying you for the value I'm getting out of it. Five minutes in, it's no more value, so that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's that's beautiful, right? So I, I sort of thought about, well, okay, how do I – sort of get involved with this. And I, of course, then took the next step of saying, well, practically speaking, what have I got lying around? Well, I didn't have any Raspberry Pis and I had a look at my Synology and I'm like, hey, this thing can run Docker containers. Um, so let's just set oh. up some Docker containers and see how we go. So I, I tried to do this um, and I'm speaking in past tense. So that's probably the giveaway <laughs> as to how it went. I'm going to assume this failed. <laughs> you you assume correctly. Okay. <laughs> I just want to I just want to quickly lay out the reasons why it failed and why I didn't realize why it would fail. In short, um, the problem I as I perceive it with Bitcoin uh, initially is that you need to have fast read write access to your storage medium for reading and writing the blocks. It's not heavily computationally intensive downloading the blocks and validating them. Um, right. Obviously, it plays a part. Uh, but the the CPU in the Synology, whilst a lot of people would scoff at it because it's a Celeron, it's you know it's quite capable of doing that. But the problem is that most Synology drive uh, NASes that people have got or QNAPs or what have you are all going to be spinning Rust. They're not going to be yeah. solid state drives. And one thing I missed early on is that the recommendation for the Raspberry Blitz and the um, the different you know different uh, boxes out there that you can get for uh, as a Bitcoin node and a Lightning node uh, is that they're all using solid state drives. So had I dug through and read all that detail, I wouldn't have even tried that. So then I tried different things like, oh, I could attach an external solid state drive to my Synology and I could point the Docker at the USB share drive, which did work actually. And I was able to download the blockchain, set up a Lightning node, open a couple channels but then the vagaries of Docker on the Synology came back to bite me because whilst I could open outbound channels, they would never actually finish uh, because the Docker network on a Synology essentially is its own private network on uh, with its own NAT layer. So because of that address translation layer, uh, between that and my router network, it was essentially double NATed. Um, mm. and, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was a problem because the transactions are saying, well, hang on a minute, I don't know you are who you say you are because I'm going through two layers of natting. And there were a bunch of things you can do in the Synology uh, to actually change that setting, but it would change it for all of the Docker containers. And that would then mess up some of the other stuff that I already had working just fine. Yeah. And so now you're getting into the realm of, of I can get this working, but it's going to be so fragile yeah. <laughs> that I don't know if I want to keep it working. This is too mm-hmm. much of an investment. Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly the point I reached. I'm like, right, that's it. I'm done. 
So I sunk some money into it. It's sitting on a hard drive and it's gone nowhere. And I finally decided, you know what? I'm just going to do what most people that want to own their own node um, are doing from day one. And that is you just buy a Raspberry Pi and chuck it on that and use a Raspberry Blitz. And that seems to be, I think that's what Adam has. Um, I'm not sure um, if that's what you've got or something similar. I'm using Voltage. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I did this. I, I got a similar... Uh, <clears throat> I went down a similar route as you. I just I just didn't do it on a Synology. I went with uh, uh, just a VM. I spun a VM up in in Linode and installed um, a BTC Pay on it, which is a you know mm-hmm. a big conglomerate. That's a bunch of modules put together. Yep. So I put BTC Pay on it, and I also uh, found myself fighting Docker for you yep. know a week mm-hmm. trying to get this thing to work, and it was like no, I, I'm I'm done. I just was like. I, I just deleted it like yesterday. Uh, so I, this thing had been around and I'd been fighting it for forever. And I was like, nah, screw it. So mm-hmm. I, I just went with a voltage node and it's like, you know, I think it's like 10 bucks a month or something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and I, one of the, I will end up probably doing a rasp, uh, a raspy blitz at some point. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, nah, I just, I need to, I need to just have something working. And uh, so I, that's what I'm doing. I'm on voltage. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the thing I, I thought about originally. And um, so I got in on Sphinx before Sphinx kind of, um, how should I say, maxed out. They had some uh, some yeah. capacity, capacity, capacity limitations. We broke it. Just just be honest. We yeah, broke it. Yeah. You guys broke it. That's what happens when you, you know, I don't know. But yes. We, we broke, we almost broke lightning. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, I don't know how true that is, but it may be truer than I like to admit. Uh, but because, I mean, we, I think uh, Ryan Gentry over at Lightning Labs, uh, if I remember it correctly, I think, mm. I think he told Adam at one point we were, we were like, like half of the total lightning uh, payment volume on the network was, was for podcasts. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Because that's, yeah, it was crazy. That's only ever been since September um, at the earliest. So, well, that, you know, Lightning is so young too. I mean, it's really only been around for a couple of years, and Keysend specifically has only been around for gosh, maybe like eighteen months, mm-hmm. less than that, something. Yeah. And so we, it's not that it's not that we're doing a lot of monetary volume. It's just we're just doing a lot of transaction volume. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess the thing is, I'm I'm thinking about this from the perspective of this is forward looking. This is forward thinking. This is not. I mean. To say that this is something that every podcaster should be considering is probably not the right advice. I would I would be saying that it is um, it's something to be keeping a close eye on, and as the as it becomes easier, like Voltage, for example. So just just for for the listeners' sake, uh, you can actually go to Voltage and um, spin up your own node right now, and um, you can get a node ID and you can start um, incorporating that into your feed. Um, mm-hmm. but if you want to fully own it and not pay monthly fees for, you know, for their, obviously they're, they're charging for the pleasure of hosting your node for you and they deal with a bunch of the liquidity and everything as far as I'm aware. Uh, no, not really. No. You're, it's, it's, it's purely, you know, I mean, you got to manage that thing. And that's one of the things that's kind of, we're trying to figure that out. This is sort of a two headed monster. Mm. So you have the pod, you got the podcaster side and then you've got the podcast listener side mm-hmm. and the podcast listener side, what we're working on right now is is something with um, an API called LN Pay, and mm-hmm. on that side, the channels and all that kind of stuff are managed for, are, are managed pretty well. On the on Voltage, it really is like spinning up a Raspberry Pi in your house. I mean, like, okay, you've got a node now, and good luck. You know, <laughs> that's really not going to help you at all. And so you have to 
figure out, okay, you got to know, I got to put Bitcoin on it enough to open a channel. I got to open my channels. I got to do all that. You know, you got, there's, there's some knowledge that has to happen there. Mm -hmm. That was, that was kind of the beauty of Sphinx. Uh, with Sphinx, you could spin up a node and it was pre-funded and you sort of had everything ready to go um, until, you know, they hit a lot of scaling issues. And so um, that they're trying to, they're getting solved actually right, right now. Uh, but that, it, I think really in order on the podcaster side, uh, you're, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of Bitcoin enthusiast podcasters that are going to, they're going to know what to do. Um, or people like, uh, like you, mm. you that are willing to jump in there yeah. and learn enough to get started. But then for your average, uh, non-technically inclined podcaster, it's just a, it's too much of a hurdle. And so there's going to have to be this second level service where it's not just that they're going to get a node, you're going to get a node and it's already got everything set up with the channels you need. And so that we've been working sort of behind the scenes with multiple people trying, multiple uh, groups trying to figure out how to get that started. Uh, Graham over at Voltage, uh, you know, we've been talking to him and see, okay, is there a way we can uh, give a podcaster a node, but then have it pre-funded and already have some channels open and that kind of thing. So it's a lot to figure out. There's a lot of moving parts on the, on the podcaster side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, um, I, I think that it's, so listening to how this has been evolving. Um, so I get in early on Sphinx. So I have a Sphinx node and, um, and causality is currently the only show that I have on there with the Sphinx tribe, uh, as, as you know. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, it's been, it's been in, relatively straightforward once that was running but i know that it, they've had onboarding problems since then but um, i know they're working on it and that's fine but mm -hmm. you can of course um if you get something like a raspberry um raspberry blitz then you can actually just enable um the sphinx chat um capability on that and then do exactly the same thing but own your own node and i think does it have the sphinx relay on it already yeah, yeah. i had a look oh, at the github okay, website cool. that says you can actually enable that functionality so uh, this is just oh that's cool just the, what it says on the, on the repo i haven't actually tried it myself and and funnily enough i actually ordered <laughs> i ordered it already so i ordered it like two days ago so i'm waiting to see if it shows up today or tomorrow it'll be it'll be hilarious if it actually showed up during us talking about it but i don't think it's going to <laughs> yeah that, that'd be cool that would be cool but i don't think it's going well, to. then you can plug it in and tell me for sure if it's got sphinx relay on it <laughs> well I'll, I'll let you know one way or the other but apparently it yeah. does what i learned is um like you mentioned btc pay that's one of them um, so there's the Lightning Labs LND uh, Lightning uh, implementation. There's also another one called C Lightning. Mm -hmm. And these are all different ones that are out there. And what I didn't know early on is that a lot of the different interfaces don't work on all of them. So it's like um, so something like Thunderhub only works on LND. It doesn't work on C Lightning. Um, and so I, I learned the hard way that when I'm trying to pull, peel, like piece together all these different Docker containers, some work nice together and some don't. Right. And it just all got so very, very difficult. So if I was ever doing, if I was ever giving, giving anyone an advice that they wanted to dive in and have a crack at this, um, step one, don't try and reuse unless you genuinely have like a, a decent Raspberry Pi 3 or 4 lying around with a solid state drive. Apart from that, you you know, either you get a, a node that, that essentially has a monthly charge or you just get a Raspberry Pi and do it that way. Um, trying to repurpose uh, like a, a NAS is probably not the smartest thing to do. And I needed something that was on all the time, right? So using a my laptop's not going to help because I, I can't leave it on all the time because it, it, it goes off, I take it to work and, and yeah. around it about, so it's not, it's not practical. Um, 
and, and then that way you own you own it and um but then the other thing that i've learned about lightning is the whole liquidity thing and and i'm uh, it took me a while to get my head around it because it's kind of like to me this is what banking is sort of like fundamentally about it's like i'm gonna open up a channel we're gonna have an agreement about how much money is in that and we can each draw on that and mm-hmm. um and then when we dissolve that channel then there's going to be payment fees and we settle up and that sort of thing and i'm just like I thought to myself, this is the side of banking that I've never known about, but it makes perfect sense. It's just accounting, I guess. But it's, um, yeah, that layer of complexity. And it's something that I remember listening to a recent episode of, of um, with you and Adam talking about. And Adam's like, no, we're already three or four levels down further than he ever wants anyone to go or have to go. Yeah, which, for sure. Yeah, which which I understand. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, well, if you do have enough podcasters that are able to set up and own uh, and run their own nodes, and we and that's as straightforward as possible. Or there's a clear pathway, you know, like buy this, install that, and you're good to go, mm-hmm. and put this in your feed, and you're good to go, or and so on. Then they will they will suggest to their listeners, hey, you know what? Rather than Patreon, we have this other thing that's like um, potentially better than Patreon as a method of support. And and this is kind of if we can get to that stage where you have enough listeners that are willing to support that way and you have enough podcasters that are enabled to accept that support in that way, then suddenly you, because the way I'm looking at this is that this is, it's like lower transaction fees on the lightning side. Yes. Going on and off tra- off chain is always going to cost you some money. So you'll lose something there. Um, but then Patreon, for example, they take fees. So this is just the equivalent of doing business that way. Uh, but in theory, in aggregate, the uh, the fee should be less in the end if you need to go to and from fiat currency, for example. Mm. And ultimately, you can't be deplatformed um, insofar as... I know that sounds terrible. I know that's like, that's the... It's not the buzzword, but it's just what people are saying. It's like, oh, you're going to get deplatformed and this is cancel culture and blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah. I don't think about it quite so decisively. I think of it more as there are a million and one ways where things can go wrong with like a company like Patreon. Some people use Memberful. Memberful was bought by Patreon, if I remember correctly. So it's like Memberful and Patreon, the same sort of thing. And I'm pretty sure it's VC backed or if it wasn't, it was for a period of time. So it's like, well, what happens if that business, you know, falls apart? You know, right? it happens, you know, and all their servers go down for an extended period or there's a, there's like I said, there's a thousand things that could happen. And it's like, well, what's what's the next option? So if you've mm. got this big support or fan base of people that love your work, and that's the only way that you can uh, that they can show their appreciation, um, what's the answer? And so I, I'm looking at Lightning as as like, well, Lightning is actually the answer. It's like that yeah. is that is the distributed um, support pathway for people that don't want to edit chapters. Um, they're happy to let someone else do it. Um, but can't contribute in any other way, but they want to contribute something. And it's like, well, I think that's that's fantastic. But we you sound still... like a Bitcoin maximalist, John. <laughs> I don't. Um... You're in the deep end, man. You've jumped all the way. I know. I know. I'm, I got to. It really, no, but it up. really is a head. It's a head spin. <laughs> it is. Like, because you know, Adam, uh, he uh, kids around and he says, uh, in the future, everybody will be giving a, given a lightning node uh, ID at birth. And uh, it's like, um, but there's some interesting, you know, it's like there's some interesting aspect of that because you think about you, you gave the banking example. Mm. I mean, if you have, if you're running your own lightning node, uh, you 
are essentially your own bank. Yeah, uh, true. I mean, from from the standpoint of that currency, all that really matters is that um, that you have an option to get paid for it or supported by mm-hmm. your you know listeners uh, in a direct way without having to worry about whether you're going to offend an advertiser or something like that. And that r- really it's kind of sad if you think about the podcasting, the tra- trajectory that it has taken where um, it's all just ad, it's just advertising dominated now. Mm-hmm. And when people think of uh, how they're going to fund their podcast, they just can't even think of any other way. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I have to read ads. Yeah. That's It's like the only option, but this, um, you know, obviously there are Patreons and stuff like that, but you know, this is a way that you sort of directly connect you to your audience. Um, and there's no memberships. There's nothing like that. It's a pure honor system where you say, if I make great content, all I ask is that you pay me something to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And you can tell if you're making bad content because nobody will pay you. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think it really changes the whole dynamic of how you relate to your listener mm-hmm. as a as a podcaster because you can tell, like you know, on our show we read um, donations every week, mm-hmm. and it's like sometimes we get a you know a week where it's like oh we got twenty dollars this week and <laughs> okay yeah. last last week's show must have been terrible you know what do we we need to sw- you know we need to change this mm-hmm. and it's like that it's like that with this I mean there's like this direct feedback mechanism. Where you can see, you can see Satoshi's coming in, and your balance is going up, and you can tell. Oh my gosh, people are listening to the show; mm-hmm. they're doing it right now. You know, yeah. I can tell. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that on the Sphinx side, or if you see that part of it, but um, I do. It doesn't. Uh, I have to have the Sphinx app open, and and uh, when people are listening, and I do see that. I don't think that it's as big as something like No Agenda. Um, so I don't, I don't see a steady flow, but I, do, I definitely do see a jump every now and then. Um, which is which is lovely to see, and because um, I know that people are getting value out of it. And what well, when, I, when you get your Raspberry Bliss set up, and oh yeah. if you get the Zap Wallet mm-hmm. attached to it, mm-hmm. it's so cool because you just flip it open and you can see boom, boom, boom. You can see all these transactions coming in. It's really neat. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, hopefully I'll, I'll set that up and I'll let you know how that goes. I, I think about like cable companies as well. That's another example. Is if you want these TV shows, you have to deal with this cable company because they've got the deal with the studio and the studio. Um, we'll only get this show on this uh, cable company. So you've got to deal with the cable company or you just can't watch the show. And, you know, streaming services like Netflix to some extent have sort of solved that to a point, but mm-hmm. they haven't solved it because I can't subscribe to a show. So it's sort of like, well, instead of dealing with a cable company, now I'm sort of dealing with Netflix. And it's like, well, but has that actually changed anything? I mean, ideally it would be, here's a production company. You want to watch this show, then we will, as I watch your show, I will fund these guys because I love that show. There is no Netflix. There is no middleman in there. And yeah. the, essentially it's like the funny thing is what we're trying to to create here is is a sort of like an environment where not only can this lead the way with um, funding models for podcasting, it could potentially grow beyond that. And uh, and And that's when your brain really starts to melt. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I see massive potential, but the, the, the barriers, the technical barriers at the moment and that bar barrier, that that uh, minimum barrier of entry, um, we we got to keep chipping away at that. And uh, I see progress happening. And uh, I mean, like I said, I'm like you said, I'm I'm diving in. So it's I'm probably crazy, <laughs> but 
Oh well. Yeah. Well, but the, that's the thing is you have to be. You know, we've we've tried to be honest. You know, especially like on our show each week. I mean, we we don't know how this stuff is is going to play out, and we're it's building. It's totally building the plane in flight. The podcasting two point experiment with uh, you know the namespace and the index and all this kind of stuff. Really, if you boil it all down to, it's just really one big long proof of concept to see at at some point in time did did all this stuff work Mm. and on the lightning side of that um if if within a reasonable amount of time if we can say that okay yeah it's not big but it is working like that's huge Uh, i'd 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 consider that a win all day long Mm -hmm. it's going to take a little bit of sort of critical mass because there's yes where it grows bigger than itself and um, I'm waiting for that to happen with the lightning thing. At some point, there will be this critical mass where the Bitcoin people and the podcast app people uh, and and this group, uh, all these groups, kind of come together and begin to do this to do this stuff outside of just the podcast uh, index or me or Adam or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's when it gets to me. That's when it gets really exciting. But it's just not quite there yet because of those like technical hurdles that you mentioned about having to understand liquidity and all this kind of jazz. Mm. If, if we can like cut one of those things out, um, I, I think that's, that's all that's needed. Like uh, I saw today um, that Visa is going to start, they've, they've partnered with some company to start uh, doing uh, Bitcoin transactions mm-hmm. that, that's huge. I mean, this oh, is the yeah. first time that a major credit card processor has even acknowledged Bitcoin exists. Yeah, I know. Um, and and then you now you've got Square mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, in their cat uh, with their Cash App that allows Bitcoin. You got PayPal that allows Bitcoin transactions. If one, if just one of those companies supports Lightning, problem solved. Mm-hmm. I- immediately, problem is solved. Uh, you've you've got Strike, which I use. I don't. I don't know if it's available worldwide no it's not uh, it's not okay no. uh, strike is what i use and it's essentially venmo for lightning mm-hmm. uh, and so if you have any one of these these co- these major companies that already have a large um, uh, user base uh, to to adopt lightning done that to me it's just that immediately makes this whole thing uh, immediately doable and that's what i'm waiting for yeah, and I think that you know, it, of course it's, we can't tell the future. I don't know how far down the road that is, but I, I right. think that it's it's one of those things with momentum. We we add uh, we add a few more people, you know, a few more people get behind it. That momentum builds. A few more people build, uh, grow on top of that, and then the momentum builds some more. And um, yeah, it, it is interesting to see where it takes off. And um, I feel, and I'm I'm really badly mixing metaphors there, but never mind. Um, <laughs> so. But, well, uh, the, you know, I've got an article that I've been I haven't even talked about on on our show yet. I mean, mm. it's thir- uh, I forgot where this came from. This may be a Cridlin article. He says uh, thirty, uh, yeah, thirty eight percent of people believe there are too many ads in podcasts. And uh, yeah. let's see, here's a super listener study. Yeah, fifty six percent of heavy podcast listeners think the number of ads in podcasts is increasing, and thirty eight percent believe there are already too many. Yeah, I mean, we're We've just there. We're at the ad saturation point. Yeah, we are. And, and yeah, and you can't get 
you can't just keep cramming ads in there. You've seen what it's done to YouTube. I mean, it's killing mm-hmm. YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And if podcasts try to make up, if they try to, if if podcasting as an industry tries to grow itself beyond this magical one, you know, billion dollar uh, bar- barrier mm-hmm. by stuffing more ads into podcasts, it's it's going to kill it. There's got to be an alternative. Yeah, there just exactly. has to. And, and one of the other things that we haven't spoken about, I don't think, is that um, I've been focused on like lightning for the podcaster and lightning for the podcast listener. But what I don't think we really touched on is you can actually split in your RSS feed and you can say, well, I'm going to give a certain percentage of the proceeds on lightning to, you know, um, the, uh, like a hosting company or mm-hmm. the, um, or, or an app developer, like the app developer could, could also have a split so that the, the app developer will get a, a fraction of whatever's going through their app, for example, as a way of them monetizing, which then mm-hmm. drives, that economy because at the moment that's not the way if i'm writing a podcast app it's got to be sold by like like overcast for example you 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 download overcast um for free but you can have an in-app purchase that is a subscription for um you know for 12 months to give you um extra features and so on and so forth the number of people that take that up um is not enormous and so like marco for example is relying on that as his income but you know, what if all of those, or not even all of them, I mean, just even a fraction of them, you know, like a, like a tenth of the shows that are played on Overcast, um, he was then given a fraction of whatever those um, lightning um, uh, transactions were for podcasts listened to on that. You wouldn't need to have a subscription model potentially at some point. I mean, I don't know whether at some point is, but, yeah. you know, it's like, but that, that we don't either. The, no, no, no one knows. It, not yet. But if we if we start building in that direction, then that answer will will float to the top. It, it has to, and I think that yeah, just creating those opportunities for that value to be distributed more fairly. Um, and, and and another thing, what what why does Apple get thirty percent of it? Um, anyway, um, but you know what I mean. It, <laughs> well, they you know the one percent thing is what we've. I don't know if this this is a this is a new market and nobody knows what you know markets have to discover their own prices. Mm-hmm. So who knows what this will end up being, but our sort of thing from the beginning has been it makes sense that if you got uh that if each person each group in the chain if each group, if each component in the chain of podcasting now that's that's you know uh down the line. So that's 1% uh, if each one of those gets 1%. So 1% for the podcast app, uh 1% for the for the hosting company um, if the podcast app is using us, one percent would go to the uh, podcast index. If it's using some other uh, service like uh, Listen Notes has an API, that's one of our um, another one here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, Listen Notes API, uh, they could get one percent if the app's using that. Ba- basically, if anybody's that's that's in the chain from distribution down to the podcast listener, if everybody along that line gets one percent, and then whatever's left over, let's just say ninety-seven, ninety-six uh, percent whatever it is left over goes to the podcaster then you have an economy there where the podcaster can make plenty of money with very reasonable fees and everybody else down the line can also make money and so like if you like you said you've got the podcast app guys um you know what i've been saying is that that it's it's criminal that podca- podcasters can make a, good, a decent living but podcast apps have to sell their stuff for 99 cents on an app store. Hmm. And it's just really, it's, it's almost offensive because you can't even listen to a podcast without a podcast app. 
and it's all, it's like the most critical part in the whole chain. Yeah. And so, and, and everybody loves their podcast apps. Yeah. Good ones are, are hard to find. Mm-hmm. And so they, the, the app developers need to be rewarded for that. And so the way we've uh, set the, the value block up is in your RSS feed, you can specify all the different ways that you, all the different people you want to get paid. And so if you look, um, you know, at, um, the podcasting, uh, podcasting 2.0, for example, um, our split is set at, um, I think it's like 40 something percent for, for Adam goes to Adam's node, like 40 something percent goes to my node. And then there's a percentage to, uh, the index. And then there's a percentage to Dreb Scott who does our chapters. Mm-hmm. And so every time somebody listens to our show once a minute, I get 40 something percent, Adam gets 40 something percent. And then Dreb Scott gets five uh, percent, I think. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you can and you could do that as many split. You can split that as many ways as you want to. And the cool thing about it is that that it does not. You know, this is so open ended to where if you had a, a let's just say you have an executive producer, um, you could uh, that executive producer could fund your show, and then you can put the split for that for that. Uh, producer into your show, mm-hmm. into your value block, and every time somebody listens, let's just say if they pre-funded, if they gave you capital to get your show up on uh, up and running, uh, they get paid back slowly over time. And so you can have all these cool ways where you can split up the payments. And even ten years from now, if somebody goes back in your back catalog and listens to an old episode of yours, uh, ten years from now, you're still getting paid for it. You know, it's like you don't have to worry about, oh, I need to go back and change my ads and uh, do my, you know, change my dynamic ad inserts to make sure it's relevant now. And it's not some old ad read that that this company doesn't exist anymore. It's like this perpetual, Mm. uh, you know, payment activity that can that you can always, uh, always get. It's it's really cool. And the the other idea is, like you said, it goes beyond even podcasting. I mean, imagine if, uh, you know, listening to music was this way Mm. or, uh, yeah, or. Substack, you know, what, mm-hmm. what if you had a Substack type service that was this way? Every time you read an article, it's like, boom, you know, since fires off a couple of payments to the, to the, to the writer and the researcher or whoever. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, I believe in the idea a hundred percent. The only way that it will fail is if it's just technically too early. Um, and, and I say fail in quotes, like Adam's got this, you know, he's got this tendency to see technology that's still 10 years in the future. Mm. And so um, we're hoping that this is not a 10 year in the future type deal. I hope it can happen faster than that. But I think really it, from a, it makes lots of sense. And the only thing that'll stop it is just whether or not the tech is up, is it can keep, you know, is there or not. And that's, that's still really the biggest hurdle we're trying to overcome right now. All right. Well, um, I think we might, uh, I think we might leave it there. So um, if you want to talk more about this, you can uh, reach me on the Fediverse at chigi at engineer.space, on Twitter at John Chigi or on Word, or the network at engineered underscore net. I'd personally like to thank Premium Jane for sponsoring the Engineered Network. If you're looking for some high purity and high quality CBD products, remember to specifically visit this URL, premiumjane or oneword.com and use the coupon code PJ20OFF to get 20% off. Make sure you check them out. I'd also like to thank ManyTrix for once again sponsoring the Engineered Network. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, remember to specifically visit this URL, 
manytricksalloneword.com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. If you're enjoying Pragmatic and want to support the show, you can uh, by supporting our sponsors or via Patreon at patreon.com slash johntiggy or one word. A big thank you to all of our patrons. A special thank you to our silver producers, Mitch Bilger, John Whitlow, Kevin Kosh, Oliver Steele, Leslie Lawchan, Hafthor and Shane O'Neill. And an extra special thank you to our gold producer known only as R. Patron rewards include a named thank you on the website, a named thank you at the end of episodes, access to raw detailed show notes, as well as ad-free high quality releases of every episode. We're edging closer to our monthly goal to go ad-free across the network, but we can only do that with your help. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, there's lots of great rewards. And beyond that, it's all really, really appreciated. If you'd like to get in touch with Dave, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, mate? Oh, um, probably, I'd say, you know, email's fine. It's dave at podcastindex.org. But really, if somebody wants to talk about anything, it's probably probably the mastodon. It's uh, podcastindex.social. Uh, that's where everybody hangs out and lots of great people there throwing ideas around all the time. So that's probably the quickest way to get in touch with me. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, so once again, special thank you to all of our patrons and a big thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, that was a great time. I hope, hope we can do it again. We have you on our show. Ah, well, yeah, I'm up for it uh, someday. <laughs> yeah. Let me get my lightning note working first. Um, yeah, yeah, do, do that and we'll have you on there to talk about all the pain that it was involved. <laughs> <laughs> I'll step you through my pain. Okay. Yes. 